0: Welcome back to Burn Foreman's Cybersecurity and Data Privacy Podcast. This series is designed to provide a high level overview of what businesses and industry professionals need to know about cybersecurity and data privacy issues. We cover cutting edge topics, trends, and developments while also discussing the fundamentals of the law. My name is Brenton Thompson and I'm your host for this week's episode. As an associate at Byrne Foreman, I'm a member of the firm's commercial litigation practice group as well as the cybersecurity and data privacy team. The topic of today's podcast is the Federal Trade Commission's updated rules implementing standards for safeguarding customer information under the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act. We're going to talk about some of the requirements of those updated rules, starting with a little bit of background on the old standards. The prior approach under the safeguard rule allowed financial institutions a lot of flexibility to develop a written information security program that was appropriate to the institution's size, uh, the nature of its uh, business and activities, and the particular customer information uh, that it typically collected it held, and then the program you know, was able to, they had a lot of flexibility in responding to the particular risks that were associated to those things, the risks associated with the type of institution, the size, and the type of consumer information. So the the main takeaway from the old rule was that it gave the institutions a lot of flexibility. And on a general level, the new safeguards rule adds a lot of specificity to the old standards and, and takes out a lot of that flexibility and more explicitly defines the FTC's expectations uh, of financial institutions and the FTC's uh, expectations of what they're going to do with customer information. So that's a general change that the new safeguards rule imposes. But there are five primary areas that the new safeguards rule covers. And those are some of the areas that we're going to be addressing today. The first, as mentioned, there are under the new safeguards rule more detailed requirements for developing and implementing financial institutions' information security program. The second is that there are additional provisions to improve the accountability of those programs. So those two kind of go together, and, and we're going to be talking about those two together here in just a little bit. The, the third is that there are new exemptions for certain financial institutions, mainly smaller financial institutions. This is an, a recognition by the FTC that taking a lot of flexibility out and imposing these sort of more explicit, more rigid requirements could imp- pose an outsized burden on smaller financial institutions and so a lot of those requirements are relaxed for financial institutions that collect confidential customer information for fewer than 5000 customers. The fourth main area is that there is an expanded definition of financial institutions and the the main takeaway from this is that the term financial institution is now broadened to include A lot of entities that are engaged in activities that are incidental to or oblique to financial institutions, things that a definition that goes beyond sort of the traditional understanding of what a financial institution is. And then the last main area is that there are new definitions and examples to make the safeguards rule more self-contained. And so a lot of those definitions will sort of come up as we're talking mainly about the, the new standards for financial institutions, information security program, both in terms of developing that program, implementing that program, and ensuring that there's accountability under those programs. So starting with the the new information security requirements, the updated safeguards rule uh, still requires everything that you know was generally required under the old standards, right? You, you need a, a written information security program. You, know, you, you have to have some sort of institutional oversight. You need to be tracking the types of information that you're going to be collecting, but it now requires those programs to have very specific elements to them. The first of which is that there now has to be a single qualified individual that's responsible for overseeing and implementing the information security program. And that that individual is not only required to oversee and implement, it's required to, to make reports at least once a year to the institution's board of directors or equivalent governing body, whoever that is. The report needs to include an overall status update of the program, sort of a 30,000-foot overview. It needs to detail the institution's compliance with the safeguards rule, and it needs to outline all material matters to the information security program. You know, as you'd imagine, incredibly broad, but it includes things like risk assessments, the institution has performed, any risk management topics that need to be covered, uh, control decisions, anything relating to service provider agreements, the results of any testing security events or violations, and then naturally the institution's responses to any issues or deficiencies that were uncovered by any of those stress tests. And so if there are any issues or are any deficiencies, the report has to make a recommendation for changes to the institution's information security program and, you know, sort of outline how the, how the institution is going to respond. Just sort of to summarize, the new rule basically requires centralized accountability for and communication at the highest levels about the institution's information security program one sort of small note here there's no requirement that the board of directors or you know equivalent governing body certify the contents of the report and you know that that probably has a little practical consequence but it was something that came up when the ftc solicited comments and the rules clear that there is no certification requirement on the board of directors the second change that the rule makes in terms of new information security requirements is that it changes the substantive requirements of you know, the institution's information security program. So as we were talking about under the previous rule, the financial institutions were required to sort of tailor their program to the nature of their business, the types of information that they were collecting and the risks that were associated with both a lot of flexibility. In other words, well the new rule takes out a lot of that flexibility and imposes more formal and rigid requirements. I mean, sort of, again, all things we've discussed. The first point, point. this is a little contradictory to what I just said, but the risk assessments are now expected to be conducted on a periodic basis. Now, there's a decent amount of flexibility on the frequency of the risk assessments. That sort of is keyed a little bit more to the old standard, right? The Periodic means something different depending on the size of your institution, the sorts of information you're collecting, the types and frequency of risks associated with that information. There's still a decent amount of flexibility on that front, sort of turning to some of the more rigid, formal, and standardized requirements is is that risk assessments must now be in writing. It's not enough to just have kind of a general sense of what the risks are and having procedures in place to deal with them. You have to now put everything in writing. You have to document and do so very specifically. Each risk, so you have to identify the risks, write it down. You need to then identify the specific step, the specific safeguard that the institution and the program are putting in place to mitigate that risk or I guess alternatively, whether you're accepting that risk sort of as an incident to just operating in a digital space. Additional requirements, sort of again, keeping our focus on the substance of these information security programs. The first is access controls, which are the safeguards designed to authenticate how authorized users can access information on the institution's network. There are new requirements related to those access controls, and an important sort of prefatory point is that the guidelines address both the technical safeguards to network access, right? So, like actually logging into the network, accessing the information on the network, but also, you know, physical safeguards. So, sort of physical security that sort of operates in that same area. And so, what that means practically is that institutions have to think about, you know, the access controls, again, accessing the information on the system, but also physical control over, you know, paper record, physical devices, you know, laptops, iPads, external storage, stuff like that. And so the question is, okay, well, how do you do that? And a lot of it's common sense, right? So Making sure that internal users on the network are not being given administrative control or any control unless there's a reason not to. So just sort of limiting access. Again, this is all guidance the FTC has given in the past. It's just really formalizing the expectation that information security programs are going to focus on sort of mitigating risks associated with access controls. Like I said, all this tracks past FTC guidance, but now there's just a formalization on the expectations. The second sort of substantive requirement is there needs to be documentation of the who, what, when, where, and how of the institution's data collection practices. So in other words, the new standards require that you develop an inventory that lays out all the incoming data sources that you're collecting personal information from. You need to document how you're storing that, how you're using it internally, how you're using it externally, where you're sending it externally, the sort of third parties that you're transmitting this information to. So you're basically laying out not only the inventory of what you have, you need to sort of catalog and inventory that But you need to know how it's moving within the institution and then how it's moving without the institution. And then, as you might expect, the rules require that any information security program evaluate each part of that inventory, each part of that data flow, and make any adjustments as needed as certain risks become identified or just in general. Other substantive requirements. And we'll hit these kind of quickly. But, you know, as you'd imagine, the new standards formally require encryption. I'd said that there is some flexibility that remains and there's maybe sometimes a lack of specific guidance from the FTC. And this is one of those cases because there's no specific guidance on what type of encryption you need to have as part of your information security program. But the rules are clear that encryption is required on some level for the data transfers we were talking about above. Next is multi-factor authentication. Again, the expectation here is the next one is multi-factor authentication. The expectation from the rules here is, is not only that you have multi-factor authentication for external rather access to customer information, you know, when customers themselves are, are logging into the platform, but also MFA for internal access. You know, your own employees work, you know, working at the institution, and then the third parties that you're working with that will be accessing customer information vendors that will be accessing customer information so multi-factor authentication is now a formalized expectation so in sort of a, a flip from the guidance on encryption the good news here is that the ftc gives an example of a compliant mfa process so you know if you're dealing with mfa for a you know a customer accessing their own information. The FTC gives this example. If you require a password where the, the customer enters a username and a password into the website, and then they select a prompt that sends a, a one-time code to a cell phone or email address provided by the user, they authenticate that code that gets sent to the, the device or the email, that is a, an example of a compliant MFA process. And so the FTC gives a fair amount of guidance on that front sort of moving through other substantive requirements of the new FTC standards. And the next one is secure application development. This is, again, now a strict and explicit requirement. doesn't change a lot from... Past FTC guidance on this, you know, it's just sort of formalizing the FTC's expectations. But to the extent that the institution is developing software in house or having a third party developer create applications, mobile apps, things that are compatible with your website. You have to make sure that you have processes in place to securely test any externally developed applications and that that sort of implementation and testing process does not result in the unauthorized disclosure of confidential information. The next substantive requirement is formal expectation of secure disposal. So the FTC doesn't give any guidance or it doesn't lay out specifically any retention periods. It doesn't, in other words, tell the financial institution how long it has to keep secure information and again those retention periods can change based on sort of business consideration legal requirements all of which operate sort of external to the new ftc regulations but the ftc requirements are are now very clear that you have to remove delete or destroy data that has run past the retention period in a secure way Sort of along those lines, there needs to be appropriate change management processes under any information security program that ensures that the program and the institution keep up with any new devices or software that are being added or removed from the system, the integration of that software, any new entities that you're transferring information with. Basically, any change to the way that you're managing data, the way that you're transmitting data, the, the people that you're transmitting confidential data with, customer information with, you need to be continually monitoring any changes on that front and sort of dynamically changing the information security program to respond to those changes so there's sort of a developing trend of sort of this active proactive uh, management oversight implementation of this security program it's not enough just to sort of have a set it and forget it policy the sort of centralized oversight, centralized implementation. The institution has to take a much more active role, not only in setting out this program and making sure that it's implemented, but making sure that the program at all times effectively responds to the specific landscape of the institution, the sorts of data it's taking in, the people that it's transmitting that data to, that there is this very active obligation to make sure that everything is up to date. So along those same lines, the new FTC guidelines require effective monitoring and logging user activity. You have a couple choices on this front. You can, on the one hand, do sort of low-grade continuous monitoring. That's an option that the FTC standards give you. So you can sort of continuously monitor and log user activity, or you can, on an annual basis, do sort of a deeper dive, do annual penetration testing and vulnerability assessments. So you have a little bit of choice. On that front, you're not limited to one or the other. You can do both, but there does need to be effective monitoring and logging of user activity. And so one of the consequences of that is that there needs to be user activity logs. And you need to have those logs in place so that you can recreate customer transactions if something goes wrong with your system, should there be a ransomware attack. This consumer activity, no matter what form it takes, needs to be logged to be able to pull it back, recreate it, and just have it as a reference point if something goes wrong. And it's also done a way of validating or having a, a reference point if there's been unauthorized access or tampering with the data. It gives you something that you can go recover the underlying logs to show what the actual content of the data should be. Just a few more left on substantive requirements of the new standards. You need to have information security personnel, so in addition to the single qualified individual who's in, in charge of implementing and developing these programs and reporting to the board you have to have information security personnel So as with a couple of these requirements, the FTC recognizing that appropriate personnel is going to change from institution to institution, depending, again, on all the things we've been talking about, the size and scope of the business, the type of information the sort of risks attendant with both of those things. The FTC isn't setting clear guidelines, and there's a lot of flexibility on that front. But the one thing that the FTC has been clear on is that you need to have those information security personnel, whatever the appropriate number is, whatever the appropriate type of personnel, you need to have those people in place you need to have those people acting on your behalf and implementing helping with the oversight and the implementation of your information security program along those same lines and and as you'd imagine the new ftc standards require effective information security training now that effective training goes beyond the qualified individual overseeing the overall information security program and then any information security personnel That you've brought on to assist that individual and to help specifically implement and oversee the information security program there's also an ftc expectation that you have baseline training for all employees they want this to be full-scale information security baseline level of training from you know the line employee all the way to the ceo interns everyone gets security training So there is that baseline level expectation for everyone at the financial institution. And that baseline is raised, as you'd imagine, significantly for the information security personnel or those that have significant access to and repeated access to and use of confidential information. So if you're in a security role, the expectation is that your security training matches the level that you're operating with in terms of information security, in terms of accessing using transferring confidential information so the training has to as with all things under these new guidelines, it has to sort of specifically match up with the risks associated with the individual, the access to the information they have, things like that. That's an internal consideration when you sort of turn towards the external service provider oversight. Again, the, the FTC updated guideline has a lot to say on this front as well, and this is a very important issue. It's something the FTC has focused on before. And so what that oversight looks like is an initial due diligence of any service provider that you're going to be transmitting confidential and sensitive information to. You need contractual protections. You need to ongoingly monitor the service providers. You need to audit the service providers in terms of what information they have access to, what information they're collecting, what information you're transmitting to them, any information that they are then transmitting on to a fourth party and you need to monitor any complaints that arise with regard to your interactions or a customer's interactions with any particular service provider. Again, keeping with the theme that you know all this stuff needs to now be formalized, it needs to be written down, you need to have a written incidence response plan. And to the extent that you have those processes and procedures, those need to now be written out and the, and the rules are, are very, very clear on that point. And the, again, this applies not only to service providers, this is sort of a general incident response plan that applies broadly across the institution's information security program the plan needs to set out specific goals for what the program is trying to achieve or what the institution is trying to achieve in response to a breach or some sort of data incident it needs to lay out what the internal process is going to look like right who's doing what at what stage of the response who has authority who responds to who for example if you need to lock out certain features on a website or if you know you need to take a, a system or a server offline or sequester it from other parts of the system who do you communicate to internally who do you communicate to externally who makes those communications who talks to the third-party vendors just Every step of the way, there needs to be a written incident response policy that outlines who is doing what, when, how. It needs to be as detailed as the information security program that we've been talking about. So I think that's a good wrap-up point for talking about the substantive requirements of the new FTC standards and sort of the general requirement that the FTC is trying to formalize the entire information security program process. You have to document everything. It has to all be written down. It needs to be written down in a step-by-step-by-step way that makes it very clear both to someone evaluating an incident after the fact, to the people internally responding to that incident, to the customer who's having their data transmitted to any third party who's doing any sort of business with, is receiving information from or sending information to the financial institution, everyone needs to be clear about who's doing what at what point and it needs to be specific enough so that everybody's on the same page and so that there is more accountability on the information security front. So I think that the last note on that point is that it's important to recognize that the rules themselves, the new standards themselves, recognize that there are risks inherent to doing business in a digital information landscape. The new safeguards rule, the new safeguard standards, they're not requiring perfection in those systems that are subject to the risk assessments and the information systems programs we've been talking about. They're again just in large part trying to formalize how those programs are implemented, how they're maintained, with the goal being the sort of resulting improvement in the quality of the underlying system. So the rules aren't demanding perfection, but they are demanding very specific type of documentation, formalization, jumping through the right hoops, going over the right hurdles, to make sure that everything is documented with the hope being an improvement in the underlying quality of those information security systems. So going all the way back to the initial roadmap, we were talking about the third major area that the new amendments to the safeguards rule sort of touches on. The third of those is that there are are new exemptions for certain financial institutions. And so... Again, this one is something that we can kind of hit pretty quickly. And this is sort of a recognition by the FTC that a lot of the requirements might impose an outsized burden on smaller institutions. And as a result, the new standards exempt financial institutions that maintain information on fewer than five thousand consumers from certain requirements, not all of them, right? This isn't a an absolute exemption. And so as a result, or, Smaller financial institutions, those exempt, those that maintain information of fewer than 5,000 consumers, they should still plan on developing their own information systems programs. It's just that they are exempt from things like written risk assessments, the requirement to do continuous monitoring or penetration testing of the consumer monitoring and logging that we were talking about things like that so so there there are certain exemptions and the requirements are less rigid but sort of on a general level there are still an expectation that even small financial institutions will engage in sort of a more formal a more intentional information security program process the fourth major area that the new FTC amendments touch on that there is a new experience Expanded definition of financial institution. That definition includes entities engaged in activities that are more incidental to financial activities than the average person might think at first blush, which it's just sort of important to note that that's not traditional banks, right? So traditional bank, the new FTC safeguards rule does not technically apply to you, but the breadth and scope of the new definition of financial institution captures mortgage lenders, payday lenders, check cashers, collection agencies, CRAs and investment advisors. All of those types of entities are generally going to fall under the scope of the new FTC Safeguards Rule. They're going to have to implement the sort of information security program we've talked about. That program is going to have to have all the substantive requirements, everything that we've been talking about is now going to apply to all of those people under the new Safeguards Rule. So it's it's not quite as broad as it sounds but it is significantly broader than the old rule and so the most important thing is if you're unsure is that you get clarification on whether you are a financial institution under the new definition under the new ftc safeguards rule because as you can see there's a lot going on with these information security programs and it would be very very easy if you're not actively trying to comply with them to get into a situation where there's a data breach and you're found to have had a deficient or non-compliant security program simply because the approach that you've been using the entire existence of the company. So the main thing is to get clarification on if you think that you might be in that gray area, you're not sure if there's any sort of money changing hands, any sort of non-bank lending going on. It's a good idea to get clarification. So I know that's a lot of information, a lot of requirements, and we didn't hit all of them. The main takeaway is that what the FTC is getting at is documenting information security programs, the processes associated with it, and that that it's a formalization of all of this process. You just need to make sure that everyone's clear on who's doing what, when, how they're doing it, why they're doing it. Just making sure that that documentation is maintained the way that it needs to be and that everything is clear. So... I think that's as good a place as any to end things today. Thank you for listening. If your business needs assistance navigating GLBA and the new FTC rules, please visit our website at www.burrcyber.com. For more information on vital cybersecurity and data privacy issues, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you tune in next time for Burr's cybersecurity and data privacy podcast. Thank you.